record button. <clears throat> Music button. Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we are going to talk about something that I should have turned the music down for. Sorry. I'm here with my friend <laughs> Alyssa, and she's going to ask me a question about something I don't know anything about. It's a long list, and she has access to the internet. So what do you got? Okay. This is a space one. What's the only planet that spins clockwise? What's the only planet 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 that spins clockwise? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm, not Earth. I'm going to say Pluto. Mm, that's not a planet. No, it was when I was a kid. They taught me that in school. Pluto. I know, a it was when I was a kid, too. <laughs> I'm pro-Pluto as a planet. Me, too. But it is not Pluto. No? Mm. A little bit closer to us. Saturn. I'm just guessing. Closer. I, I have no idea. Mars. Jupiter? The other way. Where's the sun? Which one? Venus. Venus. Oh, closer to the sun. Okay. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It just does. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're just supposed to accept that. Okay. Where are you getting it this information? It just says every 225 Earth days, Venus travels around the sun, but okay. Venus rotates clockwise once every 243 days. Oh, so a real slow rotation. I would imagine yeah, it'd be that would a make really the, long day. Make the surf, yeah. Like, oh, is it tomorrow yet? <laughs> oh, not for a long time. <clears throat> time would travel slowly. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So you've heard of the anthropic principle, right? I don't think so. Okay, that, that the conditions on Earth are tuned by God, you know, mm. just right for life. If we were too close to the sun or too far away, we'd either burn or freeze. Uh, if the moon was bigger, the tides would flood us, you know, flood us rather than, you know, do the thing they do. Um, the water cycle, just all the ways that water irrigates plants and everything, that everything's really very well tuned for us to be here. <clears throat> Almost seems like somebody was thinking about that. Or it's just, you know, luck. So there you go. <laughs> Did I lose you? I feel like I lost you. says my microphone is not working on the Zoom meeting. All right. <clears throat> Let's pause the recording. After a brief round of troubleshooting, we're back. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even remember the question. It was um, about Venus. Yeah, and oh, then yeah, we that's right. Astronomical oh, everything stuff. is just perfect for human life. Yeah, the anthropic principle. Yeah, so <clears throat> um, something I know a little bit about is reading the Bible and reading the Bible, um, trying to read it well. And that involves a lot of reading um, and, you know, a little bit of thinking from here and there. And um, 
one of the things like commentaries can be a mixed bag. So you have to understand the commentator's tradition and where he's coming from. And you also have to understand the publisher and kind of what their, what their limits are. Um, <clears throat> Cause you can have a very thick commentary, right? That's not very good commentary or that's not very good for you. So mm -hmm. some commentaries, um, like they'll drill down to the nitty gritty details that not everybody really needs to get into. Um, and some other commentaries don't do a whole lot of detail at all. So you have to be careful. But this passage that we're talking about today, the second part of Romans chapter eight starts off like this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I think that <clears throat> that idea, that concept is so important for understanding like the hope that we have as Christians, mm -hmm. because we live at a time where we are already forgiven for our sins, but we are not yet everything that God wants us to be. And so it's kind of like an overlap in the ages. It's kind of like your, your house payment, right? Like your mortgage. It's already okay. your house, but you still owe the bank money. So right. it's already yours, but it's not yet that glorious day when it's paid off, right? Or your car. Mm -hmm. I was driving a paid for for a while. It's my favorite thing to drive um, <laughs> because it was paid for. Yeah. And uh, it didn't owe me anything. I mean, every time it broke down, it was like, all right, it's okay. I didn't make any payments this month, so I can make the repairs. Not a big deal. I could afford to pay for the repairs. What's that? Yeah. You could afford to pay for the repairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> So there's an already not yet aspect to scripture. Like if you think about Romans 5.1, it says we have peace with God. And that is a present tense reality. That's something that is true right now. You have, every Christian has peace with God. Mm -hmm. But then there's this not yet aspect. And you can see the not yet in uh, Romans 8, right? Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I think 8.1 does the same thing, right? <clears throat> so backing up here, oh no, there's 8.1 is a present tense. So <clears throat> we talked about suffering on Sunday, and I I don't like to talk about suffering. Yeah. I, I don't know that anybody really does because there's... It's not a happy thing. Yeah, it's not really a happy thing. It's, a, it's an unpleasant reality to the world that we live in. And I think... <clears throat> Some of the things I didn't talk about in church, there's a picture of a little boy in the 1940s. He's outside of Nagasaki, Japan, and he is carrying his dead brother. This is after the, the bomb that went off and killed, I don't remember, even remember how many people, thousands and thousands of people. Mm -hmm. But he's carrying the body of his dead brother to the funeral pyre where they are cremating all these people who died. And I think that that image, it's kind of burned in my brain as an image of suffering. These boys weren't involved in the politics of the day. They were caught up in a system. You know, you could think about them any number of ways. It's just tru truly compassionate, right? Like you can look at these boys and think these boys, the little one didn't deserve to die. And certainly his brother didn't um, do anything that he had to endure 
the suffering of taking care of his brother's funeral, probably because his parents are also dead. <clears throat> I have a friend, uh, an old, uh, more of an acquaintance, but an old, old friend who was in Germany at the end of World War II. Doggone it. It did it again. Are you there? <clears throat> You're echoey, so you have to mute one of those microphones. Okay, so, yeah, that, that one does good. So I was talking about my friend Klaus, who was um, also in World War II as a child. And after the war, like this is after the war, right? The war is over. Mm -hmm. And he's surviving on about 200 calories worth of bread a day. Well, that's not, that's nothing to write home about. I mean, he's, he's basically starving slowly. He's going to need more food or he's not going to be okay. And I think some of those examples, like we, we experience loss and we go through all different kinds of things that are suffering. Mm -hmm. And some of it is very, very subjective, right? Um, <clears throat> I lost my brother to a heroin addiction 30 years ago. And on the day of his funeral, I couldn't get out of bed. And that, like, I, I'm... I'm not a super emotional person, but that for me was just like, I was shut down. I couldn't, I couldn't participate in the funeral. I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't. Um, right. And I think that's where this verse is for those moments, right? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. And I think that's where, you know, I, I'm convinced that my brother, even though he was, um, he had an addiction problem. I'm convinced he was a Christian, you know, and so I'm not concerned about his eternal destiny. Mm. I'm not concerned. I mean, in, in some ways, his passing was merciful because his life was filled with pain, like literal physical pain. Um, right. <clears throat> heroin is a really nasty drug. It actually increases the number of pain receptors inside your brain. And I'm sure that, you know, there's some... There's some scientist out there who might be like, well, that's not really what happens. So that's, that's fine. I don't, I don't need to understand all the details of it. I just know mm -hmm. that my brother hurt, you know? Yeah. And the only thing that solved the hurt was more heroin or something like it. And that's, that to my mind is just terrible. That's suffering. Mm -hmm. And that kind of speaks to the broken character of the world that we live in. <clears throat> you know, why do we cry out about suffering at all? It's because we know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And Paul actually addresses that. He goes on after verse 18, and he says this, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And so I think that's where, like, what Paul is saying here is he's talking about the creation itself recognizes that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way that God created it to be. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 3, and it talks about how God cursed the ground because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against him. And it's really easy to <clears throat> try and soften what Adam and Eve did. Oh, they just, they had a piece of fruit. Not a big deal. But really, if you look at what God told them, 
and their specific violation of that, like, let's turn that up a little bit. Isn't there a way, like, let's, let's assume true for the sake of argument, everything that's described in the book of Genesis about the Garden of Eden. Perfect place, full of food. They have each other. They have uh, every good thing you can imagine. And then this snake comes by and says, hey, by the way, that fruit's really good. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there are a number of decision points that they could make here. They could be like, okay, a talking snake. That's weird. Maybe that's not weird for them. And say, what if all the animals talk? Yeah, what if all the, yeah. Or, or you know, are, are they interpreting, who knows, right? We're assuming it's true for the sake of argument. What's one thing that they could have done? hey, you know, God comes and walks with us in this garden from time to time. Let's give it a minute and just ask him. Mm-hmm. Let's just wait. And then we'll ask God, hey, God, you know what? We were talking to the snake the other day, and he says that fruit's really good. Do you think we could try some? And you know, then God would patiently remind them, no, 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 I told you, don't eat that fruit because that's my command. They could trust God. And the thing that kills me about like Eve gets thrown under the bus pretty hard in the... Uh, Adam and Eve apple story, not probably mm-hmm. not an apple, right? <clears throat> um, but Adam was right there with her. And so I think like there's a number of different failures here. There's a failure of both parties to interact with each other and to consult what God said before they took action. Does that make sense? Because yeah. I think every, like you have a husband, do you ever ask him about a big decision? Yeah, we discuss it. Yeah, I mean, that's, what do you think about this? My, my wife is a career lady. She has her own job and she does her own thing. And sometimes when it's a big decision, she'll consult me on it. Now, mm-hmm. I'm the kind of husband where I'm like, okay, look, this is your career. This is your job. And so usually what I do is not like a yes, no, like a 1950s husband. My wife's not working outside the home. Um <laughs> for my relationship, best of luck stopping her um, because she's a, she's a very capable woman. But to try and help her see things that she might not be seeing or downsides or upsides that she might not be fully aware of, right? So she's going to have to write some more grammar books this summer. Um, <clears throat> and so my, my thought was, okay, well, that's fine, but there's, there's some liabilities that come with that, right? Like, I'll have mm-hmm. to feed myself, <laughs> which I can do because I'm an adult, right? Right. Uh, supper doesn't have to be on the table at five. If it's not cooked, I'll cook it. So I think that's where, like, there's this failure of their relationship that we can look at and be like, they're both wrong. They were both there. And so when they're both there and doing the wrong thing, oh, can she say hi? No? Well, I'm sorry you're not feeling well, Fiona. Sorry, little kids distracted. <clears throat> so that's where I think there, there's this real failure of their relationship that we we should probably say, okay, wait a minute, they're they're both at fault. We shouldn't throw Eve under the bus quite so hard. Um, and then also when you look at what Paul says in Romans, he's pointing out that when Christians are fully redeemed in a concept called glorification, then God also is going to revitalize, restore the creation itself. Okay, so imagine going out to look at a sunrise 
and it's in a restored world. We can see the beauty of the sunrise, right? Mm-hmm. But it's at 6 o'clock or something. Maybe it's going to be at 11.30 when everything is restored. Like a sane time to be up and around. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> um, or even just the, the beautiful things that we experience all the time. I was watching some squirrels play in the tree the other day, and I was like, I was a little annoyed because squirrels can be <laughs> destructive. What if squirrels weren't destructive? They're just cute, and they run around. Uh, there's a bunny that lives in my backyard, drives my dog crazy. You know, what does that look like in like a restored world? How beautiful is that when God restores everything, even like our brains and our eyes and our emotions? How beautiful is that? What do relationships and friendships and um, <clears throat> marriage, like we don't, there's a passage that says that people don't get married in heaven, right? But we're supposed to come back to a new earth. Is there marriage then? Don't know. Bible doesn't say. But what does marriage look like with a restored mind? Mm-hmm. Better, far better. And so Paul points out that all of this, all of the suffering that we go through now has nothing to compare to what's coming. So much so that I think our brains can't even really stretch to imagine how beautiful that's going to be. But Paul acknowledges that it's not yet. It's still future. Have you heard about the Stanford University marshmallow experiment? I don't think so. Your kids are little enough that you could do this with them. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's child cruelty or anything. <laughs> so sit your kids down. And you say, look, you can have a marshmallow now, but if you wait, I'll give you two marshmallows. Mm -hmm. And just about it on TikTok. You've seen it. Yeah. So like most of the kids are like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold out. Right. And only about a third of kids actually hold out and don't eat the marshmallow. But they have cameras set up to record these kids. And so you can watch the internal struggle as they're looking at the because they're fixed focus on the marshmallow. They could, you know, walk around, read a book, do all kinds of different things to distract themselves, but they're kids. Mm -hmm. They touch it. They pick it up and they smell it. They lick it. I mean, yeah, they're just, they're (laughs) doing, they're getting so close. And then once they get there, they're done, right? Mm -hmm. They eat the marshmallow. They, they take nibbles. They, they hope that they can get away with a nibble. And so the researcher comes back in and you know what they found about the kids who waited? Those kids did better in life. They followed up with those kids like 14 years later, and because they were able to delay gratification, hold off for that second marshmallow, they were able to hold off in a lot of other areas as well. They were able to you know, work harder at school. They were able to be better athletes. They were able to get into better colleges, all those kind of things, because all of those things involve having a vision for what's in the future and then mm-hmm. holding out and delaying gratification for it. So I think a lot of people are chasing today's marshmallows in Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking for, hey, God, help me with this thing that's right in front of me, not thinking through, okay, wait a minute, there's something in the future that is so much better that I just need to do the right thing now. So Paul goes on in this section, there's another verse, 828, <clears throat> that I think can be a little bit, it's a little bit difficult to understand and manage, uh, do you do you know eight twenty eight? And we know that no. <laughs> all in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, so in all things, God works for the good of those mm-hmm. who love him. Okay, so uh, those who love him are Christians, right? Pretty pretty clear there. Um, and there's a translation uh, hiccup here. Because in the translation, um, God is not explicitly the subject of the verb works together. So the NIV translates it, um, in all things, God works. So God is the subject of works. The ESV is closer to the original, um, where it says all things work together. Okay. So is it the things working together or is it God working things together or is God behind the scenes working things together? Well, I think the key to understanding this is the good, right? In the context of this section, we're not dealing with how God provides us with large screen TVs, cell phones, low interest mortgage rates. He's not doing any of those things. That's not that's parking not really lot, the purpose. Parking yeah. spot close to the door. Yeah, parking spot close to the door. Oh, the Lord has poured out his blessings on me this morning. <laughs> that's not what the Christian life is really about. Because if we know, if Paul has already told us that there will be suffering, right? The suffering, the yeah. present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. So we know there's going to be sufferings for the Christians in this world. So we know that all things working together for good can't mean the absence of suffering. And I think this is where, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the things that I have been through, I would rather not go through. And so there has to be an explanation as to why God allows suffering in the life of the Christian. Turns out there are many explanations. Some people will sort of default to, well, God's got a plan. And so I'm just going to trust God that he has a plan, that he's going to work all things out for good. I'm just going to trust him. I, I think that's fine. That is a way to deal with the problem. But I also don't think those people have suffered very much. I think a better explanation <clears throat> is something called um, God is working on our souls. Okay. So he's working to lead us and grow us and help us become more like Christ. So that's sort of the goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus. What did Jesus do? In the midst of suffering, he did the will of his Father. Well, that doesn't sound very fun. But I, you know, in the midst of suffering, I'd like the suffering to go away so that I can watch Oprah. Well, but God's not about that. Mm-hmm. God's about helping me become a different, better version of myself that looks more like Jesus. And suffering is the tool that does it. I used a story, <clears throat> and this is a story about, about cancer from um, a very conservative Greek grammarian. So you can already imagine, <laughs> like your, your brain should have just screamed, nerd. Um, <clears throat> a man named Dan Wallace. <clears throat> um, and he's a cessationist. So what that means is that the Holy Spirit, the action of the Holy Spirit has changed from the first century to now. So the Holy Spirit has stopped doing some of the things that he did back then. Okay. And there's debate about what and how much. Like, how does the Holy Spirit heal today? I believe he does. I know a lady, she just turned 80 or 81. Um, The doctors kept trying to give her cancer and God kept saying no. So I'm just going to thank the Lord for it. Thank God that she doesn't have to deal with that. But Dan Wallace writes about um, when he, he had twin sons, or he has twin sons, and one of the sons came down with an extremely rare form of uh, kidney cancer. 
And so in this cancer, only 161 children have ever been diagnosed with this cancer. So there aren't any support groups. There's not, you know, a March of Dimes rally for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And every child who had a biopsy done before they did surgery to remove the cancer died. And so they're thinking what happened was the boy got kicked at a soccer match and his urine was brown. They took him in. They started doing tests and everything. They found this lump on his kidney. And um, <clears throat> they said, we want to do exploratory surgery. I mean, it's a right now kind of a thing. Have you ever gone to the doctor and the doctor says, I need to see you again? That means mm-hmm. something's wrong. Like right. Usually you go for a physical, the doctor's like, all right, I'll see you next year. No, something's wrong. And so then they come up with, we have to do exploratory surgery like right now. And then after they had taken the cancer out and then checked it, they found it was this extremely rare cancer. And they said, you know, we need to do chemotherapy because if we didn't get it all and it comes back, the child will die. Mm -hmm. Well, um, during chemotherapy, now remember he's got twins, right? So this is one of the twins. One twin weighed 45 pounds. The other twin weighed 85 pounds. And I, you know, um, we have kids in the congregation who have been through this kind of thing. And it's, it's frightening for parents. It's terrifying and traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I can't even imagine the level of suffering that he went through as he watched his child go through this. And I think the thing that he says, the thing that his takeaway is from all of this, the thing that's kind of the point, he didn't just need the Bible. He needed God to show up in the Holy Spirit right then in a very real and visible and tangible way. And so I think that's where, like, I'm a conservative, right? Pretty conservative. not a knee-jerk jerk of a conservative, but I'm a conservative guy. I'm a cessationist, but I don't think that the Holy Spirit has stopped working. And what I, what I take away from this is that if the Holy Spirit does something, who am I to say that he can't do that? Mm-hmm. You know, And the boy recovered, he's doing fine, but I think that's where <clears throat> churches are so afraid that the Holy Spirit might do something that they squash him. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what Paul wants, right? Verse 26 of chapter 8 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's not the only, like there are suffering and hard things for the Christian means that we understand and know that there's something in the future that is so much better than the suffering that we won't even really remember it. But in the midst of the suffering, we have to remember that God allows us to cry out to him, to lose it with him, to get angry at him, Mm -hmm. because God loves us that way. And so I think there are people who use Romans 8.28 a little too casually, right? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But when you have a kid who's sick, my older son is asthmatic. And so when he was little and he would have to go to the doctor and be treated for asthma, I mean, I'm a dad, right? I'm like, Lord, I would rather suffer than watch my kids suffer, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Um, <clears throat> but when we talk about suffering, when we think about suffering for the people around us, if you're not if you're not suffering right now, right, what should you do? That's the time to come back to this text and to really understand and to really think through and to get it kind of burned into your brain that God is working for the good of his people. But the good of his people is not the absence of suffering. And in the presence of suffering, that is when we communicate to God most honestly. When I'm going through something, <clears throat> I I pray. I mean, I I um I am pretty regularly on my face before God about some things going on in my life. And if they weren't going on, I probably wouldn't be praying as much. I certainly wouldn't be asking God as, as hard, you know, hey, Lord. I, I mean, God says no to me regularly because I probably am asking for things that I shouldn't be asking for, right? <laughs> but he's a good father, and I'm going to ask him again. And he knows I'm going to ask him again um, <laughs> because that's what suffering does. It brings us to that point where it's like, God, I need this. And sometimes when God says no, the response needs to be, okay, Lord, I'm going to have to trust you more than I trust myself. I'm going to have to trust that you heard me and that what you want for me is not to be distracted from what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm still supposed to get up in the morning and, you know, do the pastor thing and try to help people. All those things are still things I'm supposed to do, even though there are things going on in my life. And I'm supposed to trust God. So when you're not suffering, you have to burn this into your brain. You have to learn how to trust God with the little things because the big things are coming. And so when somebody is suffering, when you see somebody suffering, um, it's your opportunity to just jump in. Watch the kids clean the house, whatever it takes, whatever it looks like in that situation to say, hey, I'm here to help. And if you're in the suffering, this is something that we as Christians often don't do. Um, <clears throat> you ever have somebody say, call me if you need anything. <laughs> well, sometimes you don't even know what you need, right? Yeah. So one of the things that you can do, and I, I don't I don't know that anyone would be offended about this. If you went to Amazon and you bought like a whole bunch of paper napkins and paper plates and plastic forks and had them just sent to their house. Yep. You know, and there it is. You don't even have to put your name on it. Hey, did you send me a bunch of paper plates? Figured you could use them right now <laughs> so that you didn't have to wash the stinking dishes. I don't mind washing dishes. I've had people um, just in the middle of uh, just stuff, and they said, we need help. Can you come help us clean our house? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually can get a team of people together, if that's what you want, and we can come and clean your house. Um, somebody, you know, friend, I think we talked about this, a uh, friend of mine's having a mental health crisis. How can I help? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just showing up. Sometimes it's uh, helping people plan a course of action. Sometimes people, uh, when they're in the middle of something, they can't really make a decision. Like they can't go, okay, the thing to do is this. Right. Well, I'm not in the crisis. Like maybe I can see the picture more clearly than you can. And I can say, okay, here's three different courses of action. Pick one. Mm -hmm. I did that with uh, <clears throat> someone who was, someone was experiencing dislocation, right? So, um, they, they needed a place to stay. They had a couple of options. They couldn't sort through the options. I said, well, I can sort through the options for you. Plan A, plan B, plan C. Mm -hmm. You know, and then which one do you like more? And, you know, try this one for a while. And if it doesn't work out, go to the next stage. 
um, <clears throat> a friend of mine's going through some uh, career problems in ministry, and we've talked several times, and it's like, okay, what's the plan? What are the likely outcomes? How do you how do you do that? Because I can do that. I can help that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, where maybe in the middle of it, you can't see, you can't even see the options. You're just kind of stuck. But in all these things, you kind of come back full circle. And when someone else is suffering, what you don't want to do is uh, flop down in front of them, open your Bible, and say, all things work together for good. Right. That's, that, don't do that, right? That's not helpful. That's not even kind in a lot of ways. Show up with help, and then later help that person look back and say, how did God show up in that crisis? Mm-hmm. When people, I've, I've dealt with a number of people uh, who've lost lost family members, and I tell them, I, I say this a lot, <clears throat> I, I don't say that a lot. <laughs> so there's always that circling back around. And the thing that I've told people a lot of times is that you look for the little mercies. when When you have a loved one who's passing away, when you have a situation that seems like it can't be resolved, look for and count the little ways that God shows up because he does. Mm-hmm. I still don't know anything about Venus. <laughs> so is this going to become a theme? I don't think so. No? We're not going to talk about astronomical information because I'll study if I need to. No, they're completely random facts that I told. Oh my goodness, I don't I can barely keep up with the internet. <laughs> <laughs>